Cars today are safer, more reliable, and packing more technology than ever before. But if you're looking for an appliance on wheels, this isn't your show. We want to help everyone find a car they'll really love, capable on the commute, and a laugh on your favorite road. If you take the long way home, this is for you. New cars, used cars, whatever your budget, whatever your needs, if you like to drive, we want to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Well, hey, friends. Welcome back to the show. We hope you're enjoying the format as much as Todd and I are. We're enjoying mm -hmm. the questions. I think I can speak for you and say we're enjoying all the questions that are pouring in. Definitely. It seems like even more when we're posting up on Facebook. And what we're doing now is doing a twice-a-week podcast. We'll see how long mm -hmm. we can keep that up. It might be you know, a few weeks where we might not be able to get to everything. But uh, we're hoping to do the twice-a-week thing and break that up while, into yeah. a, a single car time. debate here and then add all your Facebook questions because you guys have been mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic and very thought-provoking. Last, uh, <laughs> last podcast, we talked about best car chases, and we're still getting emails about you know best car chase yeah. scenes and suggestions and – and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. those still pouring in, which is pretty cool. It's making us think in a different way, which is nice. Uh, so we have got uh, a single car debate, as I mentioned, single car debate, and that is Adam. He's mm -hmm. in Orange County, actually, way down in Southern California, and is going to be making a car swap soon. He's got a family. He's got uh, a 10-minute commute. And uh, he said <laughs> – 10 whole minutes. <laughs> 10 whole minutes. And uh, he told us to get after it. And so we will, Adam. This is going to be pretty fun. We're looking forward to debating your, yeah. your story here. Definitely, definitely. I mean, and, and as Paul mentioned, in case you did miss it, this is the beginning of our second week of two times a week podcast. Every Tuesday, every Friday, we're going to be both of those places. And I'll get this out of the way right up front. Some of you have asked about Google Play. That is an Android-friendly world for all of your Android people. And, uh, and as a result, they have just now, Google Play has just now started podcasts. We have added our uh, RSS feed to that. So if you're on Google Play, you want to do our podcast through that, you can now get it there. I will be honest. I am not very familiar with it, and so I'm not sure about ratings and how you help us there. If you are on, of course, iTunes or Stitcher, you can rate there, and it does help. So thank you for those of you that are doing it. But you asked about Google Play. We are now part of it, so enjoy. Uh, and, yes, twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, which is pretty nuts. Uh, so it's a <laughs> lot. we've got lots to talk about. We've got, we got lots to talk about, which is great. You never do. What are you I talking wanted, about? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. We, and we can still pull talking? off an hour. Anyway. That's kind of weird. Yeah, even more. Even more. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> actually, this past weekend, we just got, and, of course, here it always happens this way. I just this past weekend traded out my uh, winter uh, wheels and tires on the FRS mm. for my summer tires. So I went from the Blizzax on the stock wheels to the uh, Pilot Super Sports on the same. They're still 17-inch, but they're a half-inch wider. So it's a wider wheel, uh, and it's uh, Pilot Super Sports, which is a significant change. I've been driving it around today, and just the car feels so much sharper on those tires. <laughs> You're but like, oh, course, yeah, that's what the car is. Exactly. But, like. of course, the grand spring irony of the fact that I put them on this weekend, and this week it's supposed to snow. So that'll be fun. Uh, but, hey, that's spring for you. But in the process, I, I made a little tweet about our friends over at FT86 Speed Factory that are continuing to help us with this car. And you may have been following along with the FRS uh, kind of debacle related to the wheels and the lug nuts. Um, <laughs> we had, I mean, honestly, it was I was I was popping them off like I, like, I don't know, toothpicks last winter when I switched my wheels out, nine, nine of the 20. If you're following along, that is nearly half 
of the lug bolts clipped off, sheared off the car in the process of getting Jeez. the winter wheels off. I still can't which believe is just, all this has happened. I, I agree. And, and what's crazy is many of you responded that you have had this same trouble with this car, which is not good news. I had a conversation with Tire Rack. They were really great about doing a lot of actual research about what happened to the thread pitch and all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the detail those guys go into is nuts. They were helpful, but honestly, the conclusion looked to be that Honestly, I feel like it's the lug bolts on the car. I don't think it's really anything else than that, which is bad news. Uh, but i got to watch my torque settings and make sure I don't ever get above torque on these, which I wanted to be careful about anyway. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing to watch is the torque recommend mm -hmm. recommendations for those bolts itself rather than – Which, I mean, I, sh I should have been – based on everything I know, I was still in spec. I, you know, I was 89 pound-feet on my torque wrench. I didn't use any kind of weird bar or air wrench or whatever. But, hey, okay, other people have had this problem doing tons of the same thing, which is doesn't say good things. But I now have brand new lug bolts on brand new lug, uh, brand new lug nuts on brand new lug bolts, and I got uh, the new lug nuts from a recommendation from the FT86 Speed Factory. If you have an 86, that's the GT86, the BRZ, the FRS, which of course obviously is changing now. We highly recommend you contact those guys because they're just yeah, great. Definitely. You can just throw them a question and say. Here's what I want to do, which is what I keep doing. Here's what I want to do. What do you recommend? And they'll send back a couple of recommendations, a couple of links to their to, to their website showing you product. It's their product and also anything else you want for these cars. So they got me some new ones, which is great, and I picked out something there, and they helped me with the recommendation, put those on. And then I got an interesting question. You may have seen this, Paul. Hmm. What's that? Somebody asked the question where they said, well, wait a minute. Why? Why? Um. Why? Why did you get uh, lug nuts? Uh, why did you transition to lug nuts from lug bolts? And I went. Wait a minute. I think there's a misunderstanding oh, there. Oh, bit of, yeah, a bit of misunderstanding there. Yeah, and here's the thing I realized, and this is funny because now I have, of course, you know, the long-term FRS in the garage next to the, our long-term Porsche Cayenne, and those represent the two different sides of the world. And what I mean by that is if you're used to having a German car, and, of course, you've had many of this, Paul, when you take the wheel off of one of those, you're actually taking – the bolt out. Yeah, it's the, the bolt entire bolts its way into bolt. the hub. Right, right. So the whole bolt comes out. So German cars are that way. American cars and Japanese cars aren't. The, the coming out of the hub are your four or five or six, however many it is. The actual uh, bolts are sticking out, and you put the wheel, on, hang the wheel on the bolts, and then put the nuts on. So on the FRS, it has the uh, the bolts sticking out, and I put the wheel on, and then the nuts. So I've got new nuts. So there's no transition. I didn't make a change to the hub of the wheel. That's just the way it is. So that's the story on the FRS. I'm glad you're getting that uh, taken care of. It seems like, uh, you know, through the winter, we were both kind of wondering. We had the winter to mm -hmm. kind of go, all right, had the problem. The winter tires are on. Now what's going to happen? I'm glad the, the um, WeatherTech guys were forthcoming and, and – uh, excuse me, not the WeatherTech. You mean Tech, the Tyrek? The, the yeah. Tyrek mm -hmm. guys, yeah. They were, they were really forthcoming and seemed to be really helpful and – and uh, then the FT86 guys stepped in. It just seemed like we had to go down the road of figuring out what's next because, yeah, I knew spring was coming, you know, and we're going, all mm -hmm. right, we got to do something different than what happened last year. We know what happened. Well, so, and, I, and I, hate, I hate to say this, but all signs seem to point to kind of a low-quality uh, lug, lug bolt on the, yeah. on the car. Now, I have all new ones on the car. And uh, I do have to say, the, the way these new nuts threaded was really clean. So I'm actually really excited oh, good. for, good. Uh, yeah, for how they're going to seat over time. And, uh, and the car just, I like it with the summer wheels on it. I just do. Good. So I'm glad to have those back. 
Good. Well, yeah, and then uh, here it snows. So springtime in exactly. Utah. That's Perfect. awesome. It's yeah, of course it is. Dumping course it is. snow. However, and you know, <laughs> here I am rattling. Here I am rattling on about my long-term car that we're very excited about. However, <laughs> Paul, I have to call you out a bit. We've been joking about. What are you going to do? And last week we talked about, actually last uh, Friday, we talked about how uh, a few people out there wrote to you and kind of said, well, if you're waiting two years for a car, why not blow the budget out a bit and get something you really, really like? You took that to heart. And I did. What the heck? What? <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to tell the kind people what's going on? <laughs> Well, what's going on is a glass of whiskey right now. As you might know that uh, Todd and I generally podcast in the evenings, and so we post up on Facebook <laughs> for questions. And I knew this question was coming, and it just seemed like a glass of whiskey kind of a podcast. So Balcones, wow. Texas whiskey, anyone? I'm just kind of wow. sitting here okay. relaxing because I knew this was coming, and I just <laughs> – uh, yeah, the uh, the deal is, Greg R., <clears throat> I um, – I did uh, <laughs> uh, undertake uh, a, some steps on Saturday morning. Um, I had explained to you, you know, after reading those emails, you know, more of, uh, more of my thinking. And then those emails, of course, came along and promptly shoved me over the cliff. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I had been eyeballing this particular car for a while and just going, huh, should I? Should I? Interesting. Um, I'm gonna do my best to not say anything. I'm okay. It's, it's gonna right. be tough. You want you want to keep it under wraps until you have it. I get that. But, I, but I you started down wraps. the road to something that kind of blows out your initial budget because well, you realized it's gonna be two years. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. And I have to applaud yeah. you. And I, look, we're gonna we're gonna we're not. I'm gonna honestly, we're not gonna tell you guys the car tonight because the process it, it is still in process. Well, and Paul's <laughs> found a great deal on I actually a surprising have to pay car. for the thing. First of all, money yeah. has to change yeah. hands. Yikes. And, so, it's, uh, and it's one of those things. I'm of I'm of the category that until you have it in your driveway, because this is a good deal and all that, I I think we kind of have to play the cards close to the vest because you are you do have quite a find. But uh, I have to applaud you because you showed me this car you found. You showed me uh -huh, the deal, and uh -huh. I said, "You better call him because that's going to vanish." And that was that was Friday night, by the way. Saturday morning, yeah. <laughs> I get a text from Paul that just says, hey, by the way, I think I just bought that car. <laughs> I wanted you to call him over the weekend. I never in a million years thought that less than 12 hours later, you'd be like, by the way. So it I'm just, excited to, to yeah. I'm excited for it to be real. But you've headed down the road to something very cool that is quite a find. So uh, we'll see. I, I'm excited about it, too. I'm, I'm getting more excited. Yes, as Todd said, it is not in my possession yet. I have to pay for the darn thing. And uh, I will say, though, I will say that it is not an S2000. <laughs> so, yeah, that, mm -hmm. uh, just putting that out there. But my question for the listening audience is, Todd and I are currently trying to decide the best way to introduce it to you when I do have it, when it arrives. So mm -hmm. is that Twitter? Yeah. Would you prefer Instagram? Our One of our great photographers, Chance Hales, not only is he a fantastic photographer, he does a lot of video work for us, and he runs our Instagram account. I could send him a photo of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Or do you just want to wait for the video later on when we decide how to craft the video of the reveal? Well, so yeah, that's, that's my we're question. We're going to have to shoot. The audience here. I kind of feel like it's two-stage. I'm curious to hear what social media people would like to hear about it on yeah. because I think that's going to have to happen right away. 
But of course, we're going to shoot the "Here It Comes" video. You know, the, the kind of the first meeting video. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to shoot yep. that anyway. Uh, so that'll be a cool yeah. little introduction yeah. to the car. So that'll happen either way. But yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's a really good question. So we've teased that into oblivion <laughs> without actually covering anything. So maybe we should do a car debate. How about that? I suppose so. We'll we'll segue into uh, what we talked about at the top of the podcast, and that is Adam. He's in Southern California, actually in Orange County. Uh, I lived mm-hmm. down there briefly, Adam, uh, if you didn't know. Um, thanks for writing in. He gives us a little bit of background here that he's 39, six foot four, and 220 pounds. And I just want to say that you don't necessarily have to send us your weight or <laughs> measurements for us to decide hey, on a proper car for you. But, but it's, that helps. But it's, it's helpful. It's but, helpful. But if, it's but if he had said if he had said he was seven feet and 300 and we said Miata, that clearly wouldn't work. That's so, true. You know That's what? very I, true. I, in that regard, he's given us frame of reference. He's a little bit bigger than we are. So, okay, all right, that's frame of reference. <laughs> he has a 14-month-old daughter, and uh, he's shopping around. His wife has a, has a Nissan Murano that is kind of the family car, and he's looking for what's next. He, he is coming out of an Acura RLX. Before that, he had an Infiniti G37S with a manual mm-hmm. transmission that he still misses. He actually really, really liked that car. So he's got, uh, depending upon how he does it, he's got a decent budget here. I think this is pretty interesting because he's actually seemingly leaning more towards leasing. And what he says here mm-hmm. is most likely he'll lease, though he's not opposed to buying. And the, the kinds of choices and things he's looking at when he's buying versus leasing is wildly different. I think you've noticed this. It is. He's, yeah, he's, it is. He's thinking about a few cars here. First of all, if he leases... Here's the price range that we're talking. He's okay with about $500 a month, ideally Mm -hmm. nothing down. That's a a bit hard to find, but we'll try to explore that. And that equates to a between $42,000 and $55,000 price tag for something new. But, of course, that depends on the offers and, uh, you know, what you can find. However, to buy, if he were to buy something, he wants to pay cash. And so he's limiting his budget to about $22,000 cash purchase. Which is... Totally changing the world. Totally changing. And so he's he's got these cars on his mind that uh, I'm intrigued with, but we, we've got mm-hmm. two divergent kinds of thinking here. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, totally he's, agree. he's I mean, thinking about this NC Miata, the MX-5. So third generation yeah, MX-5. Third gen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. We like that. If you haven't seen the four generations of the cars that we've driven, please go watch that because that will yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. inform you. Yeah, all four your, of them uh, back to back. Hold. Definitely. Yeah, that, that should be interesting. Uh, he's got a 370Z, mm-hmm. Nissan 370Z on here. Which, interesting idea. Yeah, good okay, idea. Okay, okay. Um, then he comes to the Mustang, brand new Mustang. The new one, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then he throws this monkey wrench in the list, <laughs> which I didn't see coming. And it's a new Nissan Maxa Platinum. And he says, yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Not like the others. And so he's got all four of these divergent ideas, and then we're now dealing with buying versus leasing, and the leasing yeah. budget obviously is far more. I mean, we yeah, got definitely, there's a lot, a lot more, more options going that route. I mean, he's saying he'd like a somewhat modern car, you know, amenities and, and leather seats and memory seats and you know the nav and that kind of stuff. He'd like that, but it's not a requirement. He has a all of, all of about a nine thousand mile a year usage of a car, so he does not drive that much. I mean, his commute is tiny, so he's not concerned about miles minutes. per gallon. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he he can do fun or luxurious. If he can do both, great. I mean, he's really open. And I mean, you look at this. Look, come on. On one level, we've got an NC MX-5, and on the other level, we've got a Maxima. 
So, I mean, the world really is completely open. And, uh, you know, he is talking about he wants decent power to weight ratio, wants it to be genuinely fun to drive. However, did you notice this? He Mm. doesn't want, ideally doesn't want another manual. I mean, he might entertain it for something like the Miata, but in general, he's kind of looking automatic, which I'm going to try to stay with that. And uh, I've got I've got a couple ideas. I've actually got um, I've got a lease option. I've got a buy option and I've got a wild card. Wow, good for you. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six options and a wild card. So hopefully... I All can... right, I'll go get something to drink and come back. I've got six <laughs> options. I'll just tell everybody and you go get, get a nice beverage after I'm sipping Seriously, the last slip of whiskey here. it's kind of that here. deal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to know what, uh, what you're leaning towards personally, a buy or a lease kind of situation for him, knowing, knowing what we do and the fact that he weighs 220 pounds how many gallons of milk were consumed between New York and Detroit on the Seriously? Stop. Stop. Yeah. Let's not let's not let's not build math questions into the podcast. That, that's all bad. That's all bad. No, I'm I mean, just curious. The buy thing. or lease. What are you thinking for him? Well, I mean, that's the deal. The 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 two that I have I do. I have a buy, I have a lease, and then I have a wild card. And my wild card is also a lease. The great thing about the lease okay. in your equation is you're gonna stay way underneath the mileage, Adam, so that's not a problem. Oh yeah. Easy. And you just have a lot more options. And the thing that also is great for you about a lease in this scenario is you could just go try something. You could just go try it. Get something for two years, and you like it or you don't like it, but it's not that big a deal. In fact, I'm going to mention right now that one of the ones I brought up for lease was getting an M235i BMW. Hmm. You've never had a Beamer, according to what you told us. Now, the problem or the question mark most people have with BMWs is, well, what's my maintenance going to be? Well, if you lease a brand new one, it's going to be covered under that 50,000-mile, we-do-everything maintenance, you know, brakes and oil changes and the whole deal. So you're going to lease it. You're never going to have to put a dime into it for maintenance. You get a completely different experience as a car uh, car owner. And, you know, it has that eight-speed automatic in the M235i. I mean, we love it with manual. Obviously, we love it with manual. But if you want to stay automatic, the eight-speed in that is, I mean, it's really good. So I think that is a great way to try that car at really, really low risk. I mean, you've brought up the 370Z, Adam. I understand that you like that. I think that's a good one to buy. But honestly, it's the we-lost-two-seats version of your old Infiniti. I mean, it's sharper, but it's in that same family. And the Nissan, again, an, I mean, the Maxima, again, another Nissan. I want to get you into a completely new brand you haven't tried. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, I kind of walk away from the Z car as much as I like it. And that's why I think if you're really talking lease, I've got another one. But I think if you're really talking lease, look at that M235i. Totally different car experience. I like that. You brought up a really good, some good points. I mean, the, the beautiful things about leasing are the maintenance included and the fact that you get to try something different. You, you know, say you don't uh-huh. like it. Uh, six months in or a year in, you know, we've we've actually dealt with that just recently on another podcast. Mm-hmm. But you, yeah. you, yeah. there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can get out of something. You know it's coming. Just, you know, hopefully you're not suffering through. Hopefully you at least like it somewhere. True. But you know, Ideally, okay, yeah. I'm trying it now. I get to try something else later. Maybe it's moving up within that brand or on to something different. That is really one of the beautiful things. And when we find somebody who is really able to to be, you know, a lease candidate. Not everybody is. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun mm-hmm. to explore this. And so I actually lean more towards leasing myself, thinking I've actually never done this. I've never leased a car. I've always bought. I've always either yeah. financed it or paid outright. But I just think it's kind of fun to play around here because of the options, mm-hmm. because there's so many options. And so all That's of my options thing. are actually 
lease because I'm not seeing. Okay. It, it just comes down to options, Adam. It just comes down to yeah, twenty two thousand. We can do that, but it just seems like you're gonna want something a little bit nicer. And even though you well, mentioned you just, this power to yeah. weight, you mentioned this decent power to weight ratio. I'm seeing you, you, you're going to want a nice place to be. And I know your commute is short, mm-hmm. but still, the reality of Southern California is traffic. There will be times when you're sitting in traffic. Yeah. And yeah. so I lean more towards the luxury end of the scale rather than, hey, fun, sporty. I don't know if it's back roads, canyon commute, or freeway. I just don't know here. But uh, Well, and hopefully, whatever you get is fun enough that you would go and drive some of the awesome Southern California back roads, at least every now and then, when you're not commuting. Put a few more miles in the car and go enjoy those great roads. But I'm very curious to hear your list. I want to come back to my wild card and my one purchase later, but I want to hear your, your lease list first. All right, here we go. Starting with the Mustang. I really liked your, your current generation Mustang idea, Adam. And, that, and so I looked up the 2016 Mustang GT. They've got the mm-hmm. premium fastback, and you load that out pretty nicely for $41,000. Okay. And so that's actually just below the price range we're talking about. So that would easily fall into a nice lease payment for you. That yeah, could yeah, be a yeah, nice yeah. car. And I think, all right, Southern California, I, I don't want you to be like, you know, all the drones who drive BMWs and Mercedes. I do have a BMW on my <laughs> list here. But you know what I mean? I, I don't want you to just be like, sure. oh, you have a 3 Series and you have a C-Class. Yay, and you have an A4. We're all the same. I don't want it to be like that. Sure. Yeah. Even though we yeah, love yeah. those cars. They're they're excellent cars. It just seems like there's so many there. I, I kind of f- want you to stand out. And so that's why I thought – this Mustang, a fully loaded, you can get the six-speed automatic. That would be an interesting car. Fun, kind of take, you know, take two categories there. A little bit mm-hmm. tasting of the luxurious, but definitely more of the, uh, the fun side of things. So that led me to what you and I have talked about a lot, that brand-new Chevy SS sedan. They're 46K new, and I'll bet you sure, could lease a brand-new sure, one of yeah. those. Kind of interesting. Probably. And again... I'm I don't know more that that's that fun, but I, but I see where you're going. Yeah, that's a that's a better hangout car. I do get that. I All get of that. these are because commute to me is less of go find a fun back road than just I want a nice sure. place to, you know, get awake and kind of, you know, welcome mm-hmm. to the day and that kind of thing. So pretty much all of my, well, the exception of one of them here. Um, <laughs> There's always the exception. We two. keep going. Uh, so I thought, all right, you liked Infinity before. Why not go back to them and investigate that Q50, 2016 Infiniti Q50, hmm, uh, I think is an interesting car, f- very luxurious, ve- very nice place to be. You know, mm-hmm. From a handling perspective, again, I'm leaning more towards the luxurious and nice place to be rather than the hardcore fun kind of equation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Two more just looking in your price range, Adam, in the 500 or so a month. I... I and again, this stems from the price range and kind of pushing past the, you know, the drone cars, if you know what I mean. And that is mm-hmm. the 2016 Volvo S80. That T5 is 459 a month. Unfortunately, it's like 4,500 bucks due at signing. I don't know if that's yeah. a deal breaker or not. That is a. I love that very you always nice bring up the Volvos as the as the wild card kind of world. I, I, I like cool. that you keep them on on people's radar. They are cool. They I are cool. Like and the interiors are awesome. They're just Their interiors are so just awesome. Yeah. Um. You. I liked your BMW suggestion, so I actually suggested the 435i coupe, and I found hmm. a five hundred nine dollar a month lease. Unfortunately. Hmm. They require forty four hundred do it signing, and that's because of a down of payment do. and all the other 
yeah. junk they tack onto that. But I thought, the nothing down is the hard part. It definitely is the that, hard that part. Is, of it for it's sure. so tough. And I thought, well, BMWs are excellent lease cars because of maintenance, because they're brand new. You'll know they'll run mm -hmm. perfectly, no problems. You know, there's no mystery about buying a 90,000 mile BMW, whatever, and having to pour money into it, something like that. So I thought, sure. 435i yeah. Coupe. I liked your, your two series, but I, I went a little bit bigger just for, mm -hmm. again, purposes of comfort. But I bet you that's going to be pretty decent in the handling department as well. It'd be um, good, yeah. Not as chuckable as the as the two, but it's, it's certainly not as, really as would, the yeah. two. Speaking of chuckable, my okay before the wild card here, and that is the uh, <laughs> I I had to Adam. I I looked at Porsche, and they are currently doing a Boxster <laughs> or a Cayman lease for five ninety nine. So I know it's it's more, but if if yeah, you've combining officially both, blown the budget, I, I, that's what we're here to do. Um, yeah, you're good at it. But, well uh, you know, if, if both really matter to you, the luxury and the fun, a Boxster mm -hmm. or a Cayman lease, $5.99 a month, $99 a month. unfortunately, $52.99 do it signing. Ooh. It's yeah, not it's... cheap. They are not cheap cars. But, mm -hmm. I mean, how fun would that be to have a Boxster or something that can be Well, let me, jump, let me jump off that idea because you've actually bumped into my one buy recommendation. And oh, here's really? what I'm saying. Oh, okay. One okay. of the things he brought up, one of the things Adam brought up here is he's considering getting that third gen MX-5. But you've got twenty two grand to spend. Forget right. that. Get a second, buy a second gen Boxster. Mm. 20 to 22 grand. You can go buy one, Adam. You could buy yourself a second gen Boxster. It is going to be more powerful, more luxurious. It's going to feel more like an event than that MX-5 ever will. And we like the third gen MX-5. Yeah. But yeah. you're going to have a car that if you are commuting in it, now, now you're not going to wind up with the cool PDK. You're going to have their their Tiptronic uh, automatic, which is still good. Oh, I mean, but that's okay. It's that's a, okay. It's still, a, it's still a good gearbox. It definitely is. And you're going to have more power than that MX-5, a better interior. It is a surprisingly usable car with both the trunk and the frunk. And you're in Southern California. So if you're driving that commute-wise and you have the top up and the air conditioner on, you're going to be perfectly happy and comfortable. But if it's one of those perfect Southern California days and you want to drive down the coast, you want to drive into the mountains and drop the top, it's a boxer. It'll be perfect. And I'm telling you, for 20 to 22 grand, you could buy that second gen. That starts in 05. You don't want the egg headlight one. You can get past that you, with the better interior, the better styling. You could find one, man. For 22 grand, buy it outright. Done. Fun mm. car. I definitely leaned more toward the, the two-seater fun car world than the luxurious thing. I see where you've gone, Paul. I do get it. But I, I lean toward the fun. And I think, you know what? Don't even lease one of those. Just go buy one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that idea a lot, actually, because it combines both. I mean, talk about power to weight, talk about luxurious, fun to drive, and it's and it opens up as options. Much as, you know, you, you, and as much as I don't, as much as I don't want to say, hey, Porsche is the answer, but at the same time, the other joke is MX-5 is always the answer. And I'm saying, if you're really looking at an MX-5, the stuff you like about it, which is small two-seat convertible. The Boxster does all that while adding the luxurious nature that you're kind of looking for, and it's still in your budget. That's why I think it's the better step up. Mm -hmm. I, I actually like that a lot, and I, I want to come back to this Nissan Maxima suggestion. The reason I opened it up to more larger, luxurious kinds of four-door sedans was because of this on Adam's list. Sure. But I yeah. do yeah, want yeah. to go ahead and squash this under my boot because of that CVT. <laughs> and I know oh. there's those of you who have the CVTs out there. But I just don't think you'd like it very much, Adam. It's got the CVT, and they don't even offer paddles. So mm. there is, to me, there's no real redeeming quality about that car. And 
unless it's just price or it's just brand new and it's a good lease price and that's it. I just, yeah. I'm thinking there's other four door sedans that I've named. There's other options. I love the boxer sure. option. Sure. You know, of course, a new one would be lovely, but it's hard to go buy a new Porsche. So I get that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like the, absolutely. the use thing. And for as little mileage as you're going to put on it, mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. going to be no issue. And totally it opens agree. up options. So you see that car sitting in your drive when you think, well, that's my commuter car. But you know what? I could go drive down the coast to Laguna Beach and go have breakfast on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it starts yep. to open up fun driving options. And then you're seeking out canyon roads and then you're autocrossing and then you're full racing. And then it's. And you're, then we then, you're and then we really have you in our clutches. <laughs> then we really have you. Then you're Terrible. screwed. No, I, yeah, I, exactly. I do like that. I, uh, the, the last one that I threw in here was, of course, a joke more than anything. But you said power to weight. And I, and I thought if you really want your adrenal glands to be completely empty at the end of your commute, and you're fully awake, get yourself a Kawasaki Ninja ZX-10R. Just, that's the king of the power weight ratio. Carve your way through traffic, arrive at work fully awake, you don't need coffee, and um, make your be Make done. your 10-minute mi- commute a five-minute commute <laughs> by, by splitting the lane in California style. Oh, you can yeah. add to the oh, long yeah. list of people I knew, you, you included, Paul, who, uh, who, who drove motorcycles in commute scenarios in Los Angeles and all had a story that began... So the first time I got hit, <laughs> which is bad news. If you have to quantify which time it was you got hit, yeah. maybe you shouldn't be biking in L.A. I'm just saying it. And, I, and I'm a fan of bikes. I, I appreciate why people love them. But, man, commuting on those in L.A. is a tough world. Oh, yeah. I have one wild card for Adam, though, okay. that I was surprised he didn't mention. And I feel like you know, it's going to be agile. It's going to have good power to weight. Uh, it is close to some of the other things he'd already thought about. It's supposed to have a good automatic gearbox. You can lease one for this price. It's the brand new Camaro SS. I thought it's got of that. that. It's got that eight-speed gearbox. And look, I have to acknowledge we haven't been in it yet. But it's got an eight-speed gearbox that everyone is saying is great. GM's new eight-speed is, is very good in the programming from what we understand. And I haven't heard, honestly, have yet to hear one bad thing about the new Camaro. Hmm. So other than other than it's still a bunker to sit in. It it still did it didn't gain a bunch of hey this is so airy the visibility is great. It's still a Camaro, still a no, hot no, wheel. So the visibility Camaro, yeah. is still not great. But you would you would enjoy the power to weight ratio if you like the styling of it. It's just mean looking and good eight speed. You could lease that all day long at your price point. So that's my wild card. It's a little bit out there, but and I kind of prefer the Boxster for you, Adam. But on the on the lease world, I'm gonna throw that out as a wild card. Hmm. Kind of cool. Yeah, we got to get our hands on that car ASAP. Definitely. we got to put yep. that up against some things. And, and like you said, we've been seeing a lot of good articles, a lot of good videos about that car. And so it's, it's mm-hmm. definitely make us uh, want to drive that as well. So uh, lots of good options. I, I feel like we, we were pretty thorough on this. We I, beat I, on it. You've got homework now, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, stuff to drive. Stuff to drive. Tell us where you go, too, because we'd really be really curious to hear. So yeah, definitely want to hear cool. from you. Well, uh, let's transition uh, to all the massive Facebook questions. Have you noticed the list is getting longer? It seems like every it week is. I ask for Facebook questions, which, and they which pour is awesome. in. This is great. And keep in mind, again, it's going to be two podcasts a week now, so you have two opportunities 
to uh, to list those questions. And most of the time, because it'll be the night we record, it'll be either Monday night we're asking for questions or Thursday night we're asking for questions. Yep. So uh, yeah, we got a, we got a pile of them. I I wrote down five favorites here that we can cover. I'm sh- not sure which ones you wrote down, but there's definitely some in here to work through. Yeah, there's a lot actually. I want to start with Jean Rene Boutin, and he writes to us from Canada, but his question was actually more of a car debate. So I will say, Jean Rene. Let's turn this into a car debate instead of more of a quick Facebook question because he writes to us with a a long list of things that he'd like to do. I love that you wrote in, so thank you for doing that. But I say let's let's save that for more of a car debate rather than uh, quick Facebook questions. But I did want to let him know that. I wanted to let you know, Jean-René. So we are definitely watching, and uh, and we'll get to that in a future debate. So thank you. Uh, But... uh, (laughs) Uh, Navid writes in and asks me, <clears throat> why not a lightly used F80, the, the new M3? Mm-hmm. No reason, Navid. No reason. Excellent car. <laughs> and all the BMW dealers are asking the same question of their customers waiting for M2s. So you're yeah, waiting for an true. M2. Have you seen this nicely used or brand new M3? Walk this way, sir. Yeah, right over here. That's true. This we is exactly what one. they're doing. Exactly yeah. what they're doing. Um, no reason. They're great. I want the M2. It it seems like the thing you want and you can't have it makes you want it even more. I, I think it's in well, that category. But honestly, I, I, w- I will defend your play on one point, though, and that is when we drove the last generation of the the latest generation of the M4, we drove it on track, okay? And, and we both really enjoyed it, but we both kind of walked away going, that car is unbelievable in capability, but it's starting to feel large. And then by mm-hmm, contrast, mm-hmm. we drove the 228i with the 8-speed auto on the track. And then we drove the M30, uh, pardon me, the M235i with a manual on some right. canyon roads. Right. And we both fell in love with the size and capability of that car so much. And we, and we both connected to it as, as kind of the better driver's car in scale than the new M3, M4, that I think that's the thing that's tipped you over the edge on the M2, is just knowing how much you like that size. Yeah, it it was a size issue, bit of a wheelbase thing, just a Mm -hmm. little bit smaller wrapped around you. Nothing wrong with that M3, not a thing. They're brilliant. I know people who want them and are saving for them. Yeah. It just, I think the M2 or that 2 Series spoke to me more, spoke to both of us, as you said. Sure. uh, yeah, the, the dealers are asking the same thing, and I'm sure your deposit is easily transferable to any M3 or M4 we <laughs> yeah. have on the show floor here, sir. They would happily, they would happily, happily Step ship people way. over for sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I I thought uh, Tyler's question was interesting. Tyler asked about you know the the current uh, shift in what cars are going up in value is the 80s and 90s cars, and he made the comment, which is true, that the cars that seem to skyrocket in auction prices and all that are the cars where guys that have gotten late in their working life and now have money go out and buy the cars they couldn't afford when they were new. And those guys are looking back at the 80s and 90s cars as the cars they couldn't afford in high school and early college and going, I want one of those, and it's driving the prices up. I mean, I've noticed even there's been a turn in the uh, the Nissan 300ZXs just a little bit. They're starting to take a little bit of an uptick. But, of course, the Porsches have already blown out of the roof. All of the 80s and 90s Porsches have already gotten ridiculous. So that is kind of driven by that part of the market. So his question is actually, wait a minute. What about those cars from the 30s to the 50s that right now are selling for ridiculous amounts when you go to, like, Pebble Beach mm-hmm. auction, those cars that, you know, maybe you can name, maybe you can't. They're the pre- and post-war crazy vehicles. And his question is, okay, the baby boomers seem to be the ones that are really intrigued by those cars. 
are they going to maintain that value or when the baby boomers die do those cars kind of die in interest with them and i think the answer kind of is yes tyler i think that in in mass i don't i think there'll still be people that will love them but i don't think there's really other any other people than that generation that in a large group are intrigued by them it's kind of interesting uh, you know i i catch myself every so often flipping past dana meekham's auctions you'll see him he's got them all over the country and they're they're great to watch because he's got such interesting cars on there but mm-hmm. it, it always pans to the old white guys that are interested in the camaros and the old stuff and you think all right well yeah. once that generation goes you know it, you know, is our generation just going to be fondly looking back at Mitsubishi Evos when all we have are electric, you know, Uber everything? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember the day of those Subaru WRXs. Uh, yeah. The, the GTR becomes a $400,000 car. <laughs> Here's a 2009 Nissan GTR <laughs> currently passing the auction block for a half million dollars. That's probably going to happen. That's, I guarantee yeah, you. That's probably going to happen, which is crazy Some to GTR think about. GTR with first-gen GTR with the 09, the ones with the transmission will blow out of the bottom if you launch it. That one with 10, you know, with 10 miles on it is going to sell for some ridiculous amount in 20 years. I, I think it's going to happen. I really do. And, you know, you think our parents have plenty of stories. Your dad is a great example of the Jaguar that he owned. Not mm-hmm. a thought crossed his mind about that car being worth buku bucks later. He just wanted yeah. it. And then they were yeah. in, in the, you know, they were under, what, 8000 or under $10,000. Well, he bought he bought one right out of college. He right. bought a used one. He sold it in his thirties for less than ten grand. It's worth ten times that now. <laughs> I mean, he, that wasn't on his mind to think. You know what? Hold on not to this. This at is all. actually Hang an on investment. Yeah, of course not. No, no. Didn't no, even didn't cross his mind. Just move on. It's a Jaguar. It's just a thing. Moving on. And here we are. But, but you know, Tyler, this this question reminds me of an oddball story. Okay. And that is there will always be those people that because of history of family or what you were raised in will still like those really old cars. And the best example I can think of, there's a guy, and he's probably in his 40s now, but when I first heard about him, he was in his 30s. He's one of the mechanics for Jay Leno. And you may mm-hmm. have heard this, but Jay Leno has the, one of the, the largest running collections of steam-powered cars. Yeah. He has a lead yeah. mechanic that he hired in when this guy was in his early 30s, like 10 years ago. This guy was in his early 30s, and he was one of the premier steam car mechanics in the world. Now, why on earth does a guy in his 30s know how to be a steam car mechanic? Because his dad and his grandfather were. Okay? But how niche is that skill set? It's, it's kind of... <laughs> yeah. How do you shop that, that guy, resume around? <laughs> well, yeah. exactly. If that guy hadn't been hired by Jay Leno, what would he be doing? Honestly. Welcome to okay. Starbucks. But my point, but my point here, yes, we'll get that lightly steamed for you. But but my, but but my point here is the fact that okay, when when the kind of baby boomers in general that are fascinated by the '30s to '50s cars or whoever it is that 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 generation is fascinated by those cars, when that generation isn't available in mass, and there's now us guys like Paul and I, do I think there's guys out there that would carry on those cars in the '30s and '50s? Yes, but I think the percentage is smaller, and it shifts to later cars and those prices go up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've still got the Bugatti Atlantics and those crazy amazing cars from the 50s that I want somebody to maintain. The cars from the 30s that are just spectacular that need to stay out there. But I don't think you see the litany of them as much as you probably do now. That's a guess, but that's my guess. Yeah, and those uh, 30s cars just being the sculpture, the rolling sculpture that they mm-hmm. are, that, that cars- Which is amazing. Now until out in the future will never hope to achieve. 
just the way yeah. they were built, the manufacturing processes, the hand-built nature of them, they're rolling sculpture. The, and so those will always... The no, the no concern for safety, the Type 57 Bugatti, the, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the, roll, yeah. the circle door Rolls-Royce. I mean, these are cars that just, I, I don't care who you are, you look at it and you go, what is that? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, and for that reason, those cars, the doozies, the... You know, the Packards, the Cadillac V16s, all those cars, they will definitely keep, I mean, I, keep their value. Somebody, somebody will keep, keep them up and keep them running, but I don't think there's going to be bidding wars for them as much because I think they're going to be yeah. kind of museum pieces more than they are a car I want. You sure, I mean? sure. It is what it is. It's a museum piece. It's a display piece. Put it in mm-hmm. the corporate lobby. Yeah, sculpture. So. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, moving on to more questions here. Ed Kwan writes to us and asks us what we know about leasing CPO cars, so the certified pre-owned cars. And I thought it was interesting to throw this question in since we were talking earlier about leasing mm-hmm. a lot about Adam. And uh, he was talking about a recent article touching on this, and he wasn't he hadn't realized this was an option to lease the certified pre-owns. The, sure. Those uh, sure, CPO yeah. cars, they go through the checkpoint and the the overarching, you know, the, this huge checklist of everything. And by the way, those dealers have to pay money to get that car certified pre-owned from the factory. So for sure. for Mercedes or BMW or whoever that is to recertify that car as certified pre-owned, it costs dealers probably in the neighborhood of 2500 bucks per car to do that. So therefore, mm-hmm. that's reflected in the price. They turn around and you think, why are these cars so expensive? But they yeah. have gone, un, you know, undergone this, you know, incredible inspection. They've really torn into it and made sure that this car is, is, you know, just a new car with a few miles on it, essentially. Yeah, I mean, and it's, so ma- it's manufacturer sign off, and that allows them to release them because the manufacturer is saying, "Hey, we approve of this car. Don't you want to lease it?" It is an interesting kind of loophole in that regard, for sure. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. So he asks us about this. Porsche Preferred Leasing Program, he says, that is allowing shoppers to lease their CPO cars. And he's seriously considering it now that he has a new job that will allow him to write off car lease payments and expenses for his daily commute. I am still wondering why I don't hear footsteps towards the door to your nearest Porsche yeah, exactly. dealer, Ed, because yes, exactly. come back, yes. Come back to us next week with the car that you leased. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All day long. I mean... Yeah, they're still expensive, no doubt. But especially the build quality of Porsches, I could bang on about that for hours, of course. But please, please don't, please don't. We've heard it. Yes, anybody. <laughs> I mean, any CPO car. Again, whether that's yeah. a German car, you're better or off for sure. If it's a certified pre-owned, you're certainly better off. It brings the lease payment down. Maybe it's one or two years old. Fine, but it allows mm-hmm. you to get into something that you probably might not be able to afford if you were to purchase or finance. So I think it's a great yeah, idea. True. Go for it. Go for it. Um, yeah, I I also looked into uh, like Kevin Matthew wrote to us and he said he's getting a little bored of autocross. Thought that was an interesting starter. Getting a little bored of autocross. What are the costs and things he should know before transitioning to track days? And I would say the biggest thing I'm going to say to you, Kevin, is the much higher speeds. That's mm. the first thing to note yeah. because the much higher speed transitions into every other part of the equation. As a res- compared to autocross, you can do an autocross day some places for incredibly cheap. Okay, you could just do an auto autocross for less than the cost of dinner in some places. So the first thing you need to know is a track day is going to cost you probably between two and three hundred dollars for the day. Now you're going to get a lot higher speeds on your car. 
you're going to get at speeds that you never even touched on in autocross. You might not have got, ever gotten out of second gear in autocross. So you're going to get into some real genuine speeds, but that's going to now increase your consumables, especially your brakes. So you're going to have that reality. Brakes are going to be a much bigger deal. And the farther you go into track days, I'm going to bring it up, hey, traffic. At some point, <laughs> yeah. you're going to have other cars on track with you, which has never happened to you before. This isn't a bad thing. It's just a reality of who am I faster than? Who's faster than me? You just have to be much more kind of aware of what's going on outside of your own car than just did I clip a cone, you yeah. know, because there's somebody else out there now. Those are the biggest things I would say to you. And But it is cool to get up to those much higher speeds. There is a different thrill in that. And, yeah, that, that's what's going to happen. Costs can get exponential as far as you want to take it, Kevin. I mean, you might find yourself trolling online for used Hoosier race tires, or you might find yourself yeah. actually thinking about buying a pickup truck so you can tow your now race car to the track. So it can be a whole range of things, you know, as far as you want to mm -hmm. take it, as far as your budget can take you. I mean, it, you know, the more you push your, you know, spec me out a racer, and then you think, all right, well... I shouldn't drive this to the track because it's on race tires or slicks or whatever that is. I <laughs> yeah. better truck this over. And now you're buying a trailer and now you've got a tow vehicle and yeah, all that kind of stuff. You can get nuts. So. You can absolutely get nuts. I, I, think, I think it's much more – once you step away from autocross, you're right. I think you much more open up the wormhole of yeah. cost for track time because you, you can – how far do you want to go? It can be your new addiction. And I actually – I didn't intend this, but th that becomes a great jumping off place to Jason Patrick. He's one of our uh, – uh, he's one of our patrons, and uh, he, he's one of the great people that asks us a lot of questions. If you want to be a patron, obviously, you can find us on Patreon.com, and we have little givebacks at different levels, and one of them is actually a Hangout level. Uh, we do a Hangout call every month, and Jason's on a lot of those calls, and he asked a question directly related. Now that you brought up the trailer, he said, which would we prefer, trackable streetcar or dedicated project track-only car? Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. It depends on how much track time you think you're going to do. And Agreed. If, if you're going to be part of NASA and jump into that and you're going to have more opportunities to do it, or you live near tracks, more tracks in your location, wherever you are on the planet or in the U.S., if you've got the access and you can go do it every weekend and you've got the budget, maybe lean more towards the dedicated project track car. But if uh -huh. it's more combined with canyon driving and you get one track day a month and, you know, that kind of thing, I say trackable streetcar. It just kind of depends your location, your geography, it's, and certainly your budget. It's funny. You, I almost feel like you read my mind on this. This is one of those rare times where you and I are almost verbatim. I think it really does come down to access and budget. Yeah. Because yeah. in general, if you're going to do a track day, you'd be better off in a track prepped car. That's its purpose. That's its sole purpose. It's the tool for the track. Obviously, that would be better. But do you have the extra garage space? Do you have the extra budget? If Are you going to be at the track every weekend? Or like Paul's saying, is it going to be once a month or once every couple of months? It starts to be harder to actually just go, okay, I can justify this car. That's why the, the trackable street cars are so much fun because of the versatility and the reality of I've only filled one garage space. I'm only paying on one car. I have less. I have fewer holes to bury my money in. I guess is the way to put it. But uh, yeah, what's your budget and what's your access? I think those are the, the key answers there. Yep. Yep. Uh, Matt Green uh, writes in. He's asking about some logistics about purchasing a used car out of state from privately owned oh, party. And I like I'm glad this you covered question. this because this, this is your backyard here. It is kind of my wheelhouse here. I, I've done this actually a couple of times, Matt. And uh, 
The logistics can range because it depends on the kind of car you're buying. Do you want to have it shipped? Do you want to have it transported? Uh, and that has to do with state taxes because if you buy a car in state and if it's from a dealer, they have to collect taxes. If it's from a private party, well then probably not. So that means you have the option of either flying, buying a one-way plane ticket, driving it mm -hmm. home and planning a nice road trip, like Todd and I have done, actually. We've done that. Uh, or you can choose if you want to keep the miles low or, if, you know, for whatever reason you want to look into having it transported if it's all the way across the country or something like that. Mm -hmm. As far as legality of it, if you have the purchase documents with you, you will be fine. It'll probably keep yeah. the original plates that were on there, so it probably won't warrant a second glance unless you're going 110 miles an hour. But uh, yeah, but that, but now you're you have different problems for different reasons. Exactly. The issue is not hey, that's an out of state plate. The issue is why were you going 120? Yeah, right, I get that. Right. Um, so it, it would if it doesn't if uh, if say they're they're custom plates and the owner wants to keep those plates fine, you should be fine just for that short time and just make sure you have all mm -hmm. your purchase paperwork with you. Say look, I'm on my way home. Going to get the car registered there. Make sure though, I will say. When you do buy a car, whether it's from a dealer or it's private party out of state, be sure to add it to your insurance before Agreed. you go there and pick it up. Be sure. Agreed. As soon as Absolutely. that money changes hands, Absolutely. call your insurance agent and add it to your insurance policy. Yeah, I mean, they, they even can do, I mean, I've seen this, they can give you a temporary card, they can give you a letter on official letterhead that says, this car is now under our umbrella, even though you don't have your little proper insurance card for it yet. That even also helps with what you're saying, Paul. If it were you to get pulled over or somebody have a question, you just got a trail of documents to show I just bought this car. I bought it you know, three states away, but I'm going to register it in my state, which is where I'll pay taxes and get registration. I'm in that gray area period. You know, uh, Any authority is going to at least be able to follow that, that paper trail and, and see what's going on. So you should be fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, hopefully it's uh, it's something fun. I mean, ideally you get to uh, <laughs> find your dream car out of state and kind of plan a road trip around it. So buy a one-way ticket, stay at a hotel the night before, and then hit the road. It can be very cleansing. I, I highly mm -hmm. recommend it. So, yeah, good luck with that, Matt. Thanks for writing that. I appreciate it. I have uh, two others that I've noticed, but what else do you have? Hmm, I was looking at a couple. Uh, did you see the question from Raul? Uh, he was asking about uh, street street outlaws. If we watch that show, and uh, Raul, I don't think I ever have. I actually was looking it up. I mean, we're kind of sitting here podcasting on in the evenings rather than uh, watching street yeah. outlaws. But uh, I, uh, I'm actually I, I, curious. I'm editing or podcasting generally. Well, but, but I mean, you know, it's it's a street racing show. I have a lot of trouble, you know, kind of backing its play there. But of course, sure, they're they're doing it for for the drama, which means, of course, some of that has been manufactured too. You know, what's the <laughs> deal that's happened off screen to manufacture the drama in Street Outlaws? Really, I just, I'm sorry, I can't engage. I, I, I yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so no, I guess we haven't watched that. Uh, but um, anyway, appreciate uh, so, appreciate you writing in. Yeah, yeah, Raul's another one of our patrons. He's, he shows up a lot, which is great. Uh, Adam uh, wrote in and asked about favorite and least favorite examples of transmissions for the following styles. I realized I just started writing kind of favorites, but he asked about the traditional auto with the torque converter, the dual clutch transmission, the much reviled CVT, and a manual. What are our kind of favorites or least favorites? <laughs> and I, I want to say right away, I'm only going to call out, I'm going to call out a favorite and least favorite CVT. 
most manufacturers CVTs would be least favorite. Um, for some unknown reason, Nissan is deciding to put a scourge on their whole lineup of CVTs. We talked about that already. I will say that Subaru's CVT is, for a CVT, not bad. They've actually programmed some fake, you know, uh, gear ratios in there. They give you a paddle shift. If you're going to wind up CVT, which, of course, we would just say don't, but at least that one's <laughs> halfway decent. Don't. I mean, you know, I... There was one I drove in, in the recent Toyota Corolla. It was abysmal. Everyone I've ever driven in a Nissan product has been awful. This is not a this is not a helpful transmission. It's just not. I, I know they're chasing it for efficiency, but let's do I know this sounds insane, but I'd much rather a nine or ten speed real gearbox than a CVT. <laughs> for a CVT, it's pretty okay. For a fat girl, you don't sweat much. Yeah. I... <laughs> Stop. Stop. Bad. Sorry, did I say that bad, out loud? Bad. Whoops. All right. You did say that out loud, but that's okay. You're drinking whiskey. Uh, so for the traditional auto, I want to say this is kind of a blanket response. Anything that has that ZF8 speed in it is probably awesome. Yeah. That's just a great, great gearbox. I mean, we found it in BMW products. Paul, you've got it in your Grand Cherokee. It shows up in Audi products. It's a fantastic gearbox. I'm actually incredibly impressed with it in any car we get in. And it's funny. When we get it, I feel like when I get into an 8-speed and it's really good, I realize after the fact, oh, yeah, this is that ZF. Now, again, we also said the, the Camaro SS, we're hearing good things about. That's a GM 8-speed, so I'm not sure the story on that one, but uh, that, that's supposed to be really good as well. Of course, we love manual transmissions, of course, because of the, the analog nature of them. I mean, car people, car guys and gals, you know, mm-hmm. we love these transmissions. But dual-clutch transmissions are certainly becoming the go-to, especially for track driving. They're just getting yeah. so good. They're just so intuitive. Well, and many times, they're already better than, better than manual as far as if, if you're oh, just chasing yeah. how fast can I go, they're yeah. better than manual. They they're are. not more engaging, but they're faster. You want to go faster around the track, get yourself a good deal, dual-clutch, call it a day, done. I mean, just uh, the recommendations that we get from getting into various cars, and we'll be in with a pro driver or you know, a, mm-hmm. a representative from BMW say, they'll always recommend, you know what? Instead of putting it into the manual mode, let the transmission guess for you. Just see what it's like. Mm-hmm. And they are becoming so good. It's it's yeah. shocking yeah. how good they are. So that that's definitely up there for me. But, of course, CBT, you just have to kick that to the curb. Well, but speaking about the dual clutches specifically, I mean, the BMW one is very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Porsche PDK is is almost wired into your brain. It's so intelligent. When you get yeah, one in yeah. like the GT3 or whatever, would I like a manual? Of course I would. But that gearbox is shockingly intuitive. It really, really is. That dual clutch is awesome. And I have to say, leaving the everyday driver world for a minute, the Ferrari one is awesome, and the McLaren one is fantastic, talking yeah, about dual clutches. Yeah, yeah. They're just, the McLaren one, I loved that when we drove it on, in the pilgrimage film. Um, but yeah, the PDK is is masterful. And then, of course, favorite or least favorite manuals. I'm just curious. Ooh, ooh, the S2000 has got to be up there. Uh, it's definitely, just definitely it's just so so satisfying. It just makes Absolutely. you want to downshift hard into a corner, and you don't need to. You could leave it in third, but you just do anyway. It's transmissions <laughs> yeah. like that, you know. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Certainly, the uh, the Miatas, the MX-5s are definitely up there. They're good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the the VW transmissions. They're just so easy to drive. They're a little bit rubber bandy kind of thing, but yeah, they're just see so that, that, quick they're, and easy. They're easy. They're easy to the point of losing a little bit of engagement for me. The clutch pedals are, are feathers, and they oh, lose they a are. little bit of engagement. But, yeah, I, I, okay, all right. 
I uh, I have to say that the the '86 twins triplets, whatever you want to call them, I'm genuinely surprised by the gearbox in my car. That FRS has got a solid gearbox. Yeah, I just really is. really like it. It's not quite S2000, but it's up there. It's a really good one. You changed out that shift knob from the FT86 guys, and it's a little bit heavier. Yeah, I did. I've been actually curious. Mm-hmm. What does that feel like? Is it just heavier throws? Do they slot in harder once you have a a little bit? You know, it's, heavier knob it's just on got it's it's got a very it's got a very decisive movement about it. You, yeah, you'll have to drive it soon. It's got it really feels great. In fact, uh, my wife just drove that car this weekend and hadn't driven it yet with uh, with that new shift knob on there. She was like, "I really like this." So it, hmm. it really is. It's it's subtle, but it but it does help. You think you think about it like it's a shift knob, whatever. But it really does have a subtle change, which is great. So I do I do like that quite a bit. Um, the uh, and I have to call it out. You know, the, the Porsche six speed in the prior. I'm not talking the current seven speed. The Porsche six-speed in the prior, uh, you know, the 997 or even the prior Cayman or all the way up to the gearbox that was in that uh, GT3 RS 4-liter that we drove, that Porsche six-speed is one of the greatest. It's a great one. And I kind of hate that they left it, but they did. (laughs) They did. All right, uh, Blake, I think uh, to wrap things up for my questions at least, I liked his question here about the new Honda Civic Si. It's got the mm. the uh, premium certainly over the 1.5 liter Civic's price. He's guessing it's going to cost over 30 grand, which it probably will, Blake. But he's asking yeah. really is about the Civic SI being a contender in this hot hatch market that you and I love compared to the Focus ST. And of course, we are planning the Focus RS shoot and uh, and looking to that. But we're hoping it's a contender. We really are. We're mm-hmm. we're hoping for good things from Honda. We like those cars. It, the, the Civic Si traditionally has always been a, a, huh, yeah, this is an option. I do like a lot of things yeah. about it. It it doesn't seem to come away pushing us over the edge one way or the other. It's, you know, the Focus ST certainly has been a benchmark for that. The Fiesta ST as well. But we're yeah. we're hoping for really good things. We're we're actually it's a great idea, Blake. We're looking forward to, to putting that all together as well. Uh, well, and the, the new Civic's ST. getting so many new Civic's getting so many good accolades that I'd be very curious about it in SI form. And I also really would wish that Honda would bring their crazy, I mean, like their nutty anime-looking Type Rs over here. I want to get one of those in the U.S. market. Yeah, it's going to be an obvious yeah, niche yeah. car, but that'd be really cool. That'd be the one, the Type R would be the one to put with the Focus RS. That would be an interesting back-to-back because yeah, I suspect they're be. both going to be mid-high 30s and, you know, they just are. So that would be that'd be cool. I'd love to see that for sure. That would well, be I have cool. I have one I have one other one. All right. Uh, and I thought of like quick bullet points to go with this. Dan wrote in, and Dan said, "Okay, what is what's your personal definition of what makes a great driver's car?" And I started typing out things just quickly, like one word thoughts. And I got four or five thoughts in, and I'll share them. But I got four or five thoughts in, and realized I haven't mentioned power yet. <laughs> like my my initial bullet points, none of them had to do with the power of the car. So for me personally, lightweight is huge. I mean, there are cars, the, the, the Nissan GTR comes up as a counterpoint in this discussion a couple times, but the Nissan GTR is one of the reasons it's not doesn't feel engaging is it's a very heavy car. Shockingly capable, but very heavy. Yeah. I like lightweight personally. As a result, that, it, that makes it have more informative steering. I love light, light quick, informative steering. That's why I look at the Lotus Elise that I love. Come on, it's lightweight and it has great manual steering, so that's pretty obvious. I want to have a very precise, fast steering rack. That I like a lot. Uh, good seats are necessary. They're vital. And then for me personally, I and, and this is, it's kind of difficult to quantify, but follow along with me. I want to feel vital. 
I want to feel like the car is doing stuff because I'm here. Not that it's it, it could have done this with anybody or without me or it doesn't really care. That I, I want to feel like I actually did something. Even if the car, yeah. because of traction control, is covering up some stuff, I, I want to feel like I was vital to making it get around that corner properly. And a car like the GTR, you do get the sense, okay, that was an amazing corner we just did. And I think my mom could have done it, and I think a race driver could have done it. You know, <laughs> right? And it's unbelievable. Your your mind is blown, but I don't feel vital in in that car. And there's others like that, but that's that's a good poacher child for that idea. I want to feel vital, which is one of the reasons. If you look at my list, it's one of the reasons the Elise speaks to me so much. That's a excellent question. I mean, I usually don't like to comment on the quality of the question, but that really is good because I, I think you're right. I think from an engineering standpoint, car manufacturers these days are struggling to to walk that line between this engineering or this new technology or the way we can make it work will not involve you at all and it'll be brilliant. Mm -hmm. Or we can mm -hmm. give oh, that some shocking. back to you and yeah. make it this way, still make it strong, robust, well-engineered, all those kinds of things. But I, I would love to be in on those discussions when they say, if we do it like this, it's going to give some power and you know, struggle back into the hands of the driver. And mm -hmm. in some cases, in some cars, the approval is made. And so we, we look for those cars, and I look for that. Going in a straight line is lowest on my list. It is last. <laughs> I do not care. It is when I start to turn in and feed the throttle and add power. It's the steering weight for me. Yes, light weight does play into it, but less so than that steering feedback and that steering mm, weight. Mm. When I feel like I can feel the tires, when I can't feel the tires, that's when it starts to, to go for me. And sure. uh, yeah, power's certainly up there, but it, it's got to be that, that steering weight, that steering feel where I feel like I'm feeling each individual tread block on, you know, and I can tell what the tire brand is. <laughs> You know, that's going obviously very far, but, but that is definitely high on my list. And that, you know, we felt that in large cars. The the Camaro ZL1 yeah. is a good example. We've been impressed. Wow, a big car like this yeah. could yeah. hustle like that and make me feel a certain way. I, I think mm -hmm. that really that's what it comes down to. And in the future, that's going to just be the differentiator between cars that are good and they do it all for you and cars like the M2, such a good example. It is the antithesis of everything electric. It is the opposite and will probably yeah. come out the same time as the Tesla Model 3. And it, they are <laughs> polar opposites of yeah, what they're that's, that's quite a contrast. I agree. There, I it's agree. just here we're giving all the power back in your hands. And for you to make this dance, you've got to do it right. You've got to yeah, best you know, luck to you. You've got to bring the noise to make it dance. So I, I think yeah. that's the highest for me. Power, certainly, but straight line is irrelevant. Well, but I, I would say to you that the problem that I have with power, I know that's weird for an, for an enthusiast to start a sentence that way, but the problem that I have with power is cars have become so powerful, you so rarely get the chance to really use it. Whereas handling is something that you can use at low speeds. You mm -hmm. can use, yeah. you, you can, you can like dial up your experience of the handling very easily. How you dial, unless you have access to the Autobahn, how do you dial up your experience of 700 horsepower? How do you get there? <laughs> right. where, where do you use all of your Hellcat for more than like a whoop out of the light and you're done? Where, where Starbucks. Do you, you can't even, 
Come on. Clearly. You just stand in the Starbucks, ju- just do a big smoky burnout in the Starbucks, leaning out the window, grabbing your... Uh, that actually sounds like a great new fun film for the Hellcat. I'm grabbing my coffee from the Starbucks barista while the back while tires are smoking. And just let it sit stand. there. Yeah. Awesome. Insane. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. So that's definitely who we are. Wow. Well, thank you guys for writing so many good Facebook questions. Again, we will be back on, on Friday this week. I'll keep in mind this Thursday... I really, really was working hard for the Mustang piece, and I'm now realizing it's a monster in a great way, and I want to do it well. So that will not be this Thursday. It will be next Thursday. That is the Boss 302 and the Shelby GT350. It is a really cool film we're excited about. So look for that in about a week. Uh, and uh, stand by for more Facebook questions and Facebook answers such as they are right here. And if you haven't rated the podcast, please do. Yeah, thank you, guys. Again, huge thanks for all your questions. Keep it coming. Keep the car debates coming on the website. So visit our revamped website at everydaydriver.com, and you can message us right there. A lot of people are actually doing this more and more, I'm noticing, rather than use yeah. the Gmail, the Everyday Driver TV at Gmail, which we usually call out. But thanks for your questions. Keep it coming. We will try to keep getting to everything. It's hard because there's so many good ones here. But uh, It is really good. In the meantime, later in the week. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon.